0: The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. So, I thought we would start this one off easy. Is how the way we handle politics working? Yeah, I just decided we would just go right there, right off the bat. Let's talk. So, is it working in our nation? Is it working in our community? Is it working in your life and your family and the people you love? Um, If you're a little bit like me, you probably have come to the conclusion that uh, our nation's very politicized. It's in a little bit of trouble. Our, Our nation is divided and angry, and politics seems to be at the center of our anger and our division. And uh, we we seem to function at a fever pitch where every single issue that comes up seems to become a political issue. It seems to, uh, there's very rarely an issue where they can reach across the aisle, bridge the divide. And as a result, we become partisan in our relationships. We start to take on a thinking that is us versus them. Maybe you're even feeling that right now. I wonder where Patrick and Lifehouse lands. I wonder what he's going to say, and some of you are really getting uncomfortable, and you wish I wouldn't be talking about this. That's okay. You're in good company. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, in fact, I know you don't want me to talk about it because I've done research on this and found that uh, a, the majority of adults in America don't want the church talking about politics. 54% of U.S. adults don't want the church getting into the fray of politics. 63%—excuse <coughs> me—of Christians who go to church, don't want the church talking about politics. I don't want to talk about politics. Most of you don't want me to talk about politics. So let's talk about politics. (laughs) Um, Here's the deal. I've tried to be careful in how I've led Lifehouse, Uh, meaning we, we've tried not to get into every issue and every topic, and we try not to be a current events-driven church, meaning I'm not going to preach on everything that comes across the news. It's not, it's not that I won't work it into an illustration or use it to make a point, but I'm usually not going to preach about the controversy. I'm just going to mention the controversy and leverage it as an illustration to talk about the deeper issues, right? So that's how you, if you notice, I'll do that. I, I very rarely am going to tackle a controversial topic or Talk about politics, and that's on purpose. Um, what I have found is this: I, I, you know, my goal today in this sermon was basically to do this. I want to make some highly politicized statements that create irreconcilable differences, so that I can split the church. <laughs> yeah, no, just the opposite. Okay. My goal is very much the opposite of that. And so I gotta tackle some tough stuff here. And one of the things I've noticed, you know, people will ask me and our church, where, where do you land on this issue? Or what do you have to say about this in our community? What do you, what do you think about this political issue or that political issue? And what I have discovered is this, um, there's a lot of people that want us to take a stand, but what they really mean is take the stand that I want. Agree with me, and if we don't stand with you, then you wish we hadn't taken a stand at all. Everybody, you do that to everybody in your life. You, you want them to take a stand, but what you really want them to do is stand up for what you believe or what you think, and if they're not gonna stand up for what you agree with, you don't want them to take a stand. And so we have, I have taken a line that I was just not going to get into a lot of that stuff over the years. We've taken very much an apolitical position. I'll get into that in just a moment. Um, and in fact, even how I write sermons and even what, how I see the issues, the reason we don't get up, caught up in all the current event stuff is because I try to plan out sermon series and sermons months and months, if not a year in advance. So I did not plan this because of the impeachment. I had no idea that that was gonna happen when I planned on this series months and months ago. Uh, and this week, kicking off this series with this message, I didn't plan it this way, okay? But you've gotta admit, timing is pretty good. I mean, if I was putting it on the calendar, this is the weekend I think I would've picked to talk about this issue. And so, here is the deal, right? Um, a lot of people, they want, they. they They have strong views about politics, views that create an us versus them way of thinking. So we have Republicans versus Democrats. We've got race issues as a nation where people want to create division. And so there's a black versus white or American versus Mexican. And you could go down the list. I mean, you don't even need me to fill in the blanks. You know the issues that are prevalent. And so how do we approach that? Is there a better way? Is there a way that is functional and that works? So I'm gonna dive in to that. Let me put it in context for you. Uh, I wanna lean in to what God's word says. And so I'm gonna bring you to the Gospel of John and we're gonna start in chapter six. But in order to get there, I gotta I got bring you to a perspective where, remember the Gospel of John was written much later than the other gospels. So John is writing to second and third generation Christians, meaning these are people that they didn't have access to Jesus, they didn't, most of them didn't meet people who knew Jesus. And so they were hearing the teachings of Jesus second and third hand. And so as a result, it became more like myth and legend. And they were wrestling with what they believed. And so John writes to remind them, hey, I was there. I saw Jesus firsthand. I heard him teach. I saw him die. I saw him raised from the dead. Believing in Jesus is true and real, and it changes every aspect of your life. And so when you read John's account of the life and teachings of Jesus, it's a unique perspective because he's really writing to people a lot like us. All right, so now the goal is how do we take the writing of John and apply it to our life? So let me put this particular passage in context for you. So we're gonna pick up in John chapter six, verse 14. But before I get there, here's what's going on. Jesus has been doing amazing miracles and a lot of people are taking notice. They're like, wow, look at him. He's something different and special. he's he's, He's teaching amazing truths about God and God's kingdom healing the sick, giving sight to the blind even religious people are taking notice of Jesus. Crowds, thousands of people are starting to gather around Jesus, and in one particular moment that just precedes this verse, like a crowd of probably 15,000 people had gathered around Jesus and he was teaching them, and and he feeds them. It's called the feeding of the 5,000 because they they were only referring to the men in the crowd, 5,000 men, and so Jesus miraculously feeds them. Well, after this, uh, after that miracle moment where he feeds the hungry and fills their stomachs, this moment happens. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, that's the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And what you immediately see in this moment is John teaching the church how Jesus responded to the crowds who had an agenda, who wanted Jesus to take their stand. John is recognizing that Jesus was someone who functioned altogether different than the way we expect. We want Jesus to be a a Republican or a Democrat. And he goes, no, neither. Like Like somebody would ask Jesus, Jesus, are you a Republican or Democrat? And he would just go, no. And No, it's not a yes or no question. It's either or. He goes, no, I'm neither. Are are you liberal or or, or are you conservative? No, neither. It's not an either or question. Here's Jesus' approach. John helps us understand that Jesus is coming to teach about his kingdom and invite people to join his kingdom. But his kingdom is not like our world. He's not trying to build a following To establish a kingdom on earth, he wants to put his kingdom in our heart. His goal is not political, but personal. God wants you to be part of his kingdom, an eternal kingdom that begins inside of you. He's not recruiting people to join a military movement to overthrow Rome. Now, in case you think, man, America is really bad and different. Jesus is in an oppressed, occupied nation, part of the Roman Empire. If there was ever a time to make a political statement, it was then. I mean, if there was ever a time to stand up against injustice, the injustice of you know, the gladiator games, that might not have started quite here yet, right? But the Bible would have included that. And yet you just see very little reference. In fact, what you see is Jesus recognizing that they want to come and make him a king by force, withdrew from the crowd. A few verses later, it says this. It says um, that Jesus' brothers come to him and say, nobody who wants to be a political figure does their miracles in secret. So why don't you go to Jerusalem and show off your power? That, that's literally what they're saying. And Jesus is like shaking his head, looking at him, going, you don't get it? And the reason it says, so the very next line, this is John chapter seven, it goes, because they did not believe that he was really who he said he was. Their lack of belief caused them to want to use Jesus for their agenda. I know a lot of people who because they haven't really fully grasped what it means to believe in Jesus they use Jesus they use their faith very much like these individuals the crowd came to use Jesus to accomplish their mission see they they had this corruption in their heart and so it even corrupted how they viewed Jesus and there's a corruption in every one of our hearts there's a brokenness there's something wrong and it's the same thing that's wrong in every single individual. And it, it's what causes corruption in our government. It's what causes the pain in our nation. It's what's driving the division and the anger. It's, we don't have a political problem. Listen to me very carefully. The issue in our nation is not politics. It's not us versus them. It's something deep inside of every one of us. And biblical authors, Jesus referred to it as sin. Sin is... is An instinct you and I have to push away from God. To go, no, I don't need God. I don't need God in my life. I don't need God to drive my desires. I don't need God to guide my decision-making. I can do it on my own. And so when people live with a mentality, I can do it on my own, driven by sin, then they get into a lifestyle of sin. And so they go through life doing their own thing and it corrupts every aspect of our life, including our politics. Am I saying that our whole government's corrupt? No, I am saying that it's led by, by corrupt people and the, and those corrupt people get voted in by corrupt voters all of us so don't don't see i knew what your mom would do you're like yep i agree those stupid corrupt corrupt government this corrupt government no, no no stop it here's the deal all of us have a corrupted heart because of sin and the it's not just that it causes corruption or brokenness in our government it corrupts everything it ruins everything, it ruins you and I. And because it separates us from relationship with God, it ruins our forever. So we go into eternity, separate it from God, and spend forever in judgment because of sin. That's the bad news. The good news is that God refused to leave us that way. His goal was personal, not political. He wanted to invite you and I to become part of his kingdom. And so what did he do? He came to us. He came to us and he wasn't looking for votes. He wasn't recruiting people to overthrow Rome. He wanted to get into our hearts. And so Jesus came to us to die for us, to take on our sin, shame, our sin, guilt, to take on our corruption and absorb the judgment and eternity that we face. He put it all on himself so that when Jesus died, he died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven, guilt and shame, sin judgment removed, and in place of sin driving our lives, God's spirit enters our lives, and now we are guided by God's spirit instead of being guided by sin that corrupts. Okay, so now with God's spirit in our spirit, it transforms how we view all the rest of life. Because I believe in Jesus, my faith in Jesus should supersede my affections and loyalties and devotion to anything and anyone else. And so let me jump, shift gears quickly and jump over to the letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in the city of Philippi. So we're talking about the, it's it's in the Bible, it's simply called Philippians, but it's this letter written by Paul from prison. And he goes like this, but our citizenship, now remember, he's the part of the Roman empire. And he's challenging them to think different. And by the way, being part of the Roman Empire was prestigious. Being a citizen of Rome meant something. You were entitled to certain privileges. You you couldn't just be mistreated like people who are not citizens. So Paul knew what he was talking about when he's talking about citizenship here. And he goes, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, meaning the one who's gonna step in and save the day, he's coming from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so now I wanna camp out on this verse and I wanna unpack what this means if you apply this to politics. Now you could apply this to other aspects of your life, but today I just wanna talk about how that applies to politics. And so the key here is this, be a citizen of heaven. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are a citizen of heaven. Can I challenge you that whether you believe in Jesus or not, if you want a better way to approach politics, become a citizen of heaven. If more people in our nation were citizens of heaven, there'd be less anger and division in our nation. Being a citizen of heaven, what do I mean? What I, what I want to challenge you with is this, wherever your citizenship lies, get your loyalties. You're going to be most loyal to where you are a citizen, and it makes sense, right? Because if I'm a citizen of the United States of America, then I want to defend the United States of America, I want to preserve the nation that I love, and I want to help others Uh, maintain their loyalty to the nation I love. And so if we start thinking and go, wait, I am first a citizen of heaven, how would that change my view of of politics, of what it means to be a citizen of the United States? And is there a conflict there? So I want you to hear me carefully because, again, this is one of those tough topics that you're going to hear what you want to hear. And I know that. And so if you hear me say, listen to me carefully, it's because I know you can misunderstand what I'm saying. In fact, what I have learned is that we are not very good at nuance when it comes to politics, because we get sound bites and headlines and 140 character statements. But as Jesus followers, we go a little bit under the surface and we start thinking about things a little bit more deeply. Listen to me carefully. This is what I'm aiming at. It's not that I want you to love our country less. It's that I want you to love Jesus more. It's not that I want you to give up your loyalty to our nation. It's that I want your first loyalty to be as a citizen of heaven. Listen to me. This is important. When you love Jesus more, anything that is getting in the way of loving Jesus will become less. And some have allowed their Politics To become more powerful than their devotion to God. And so, if you begin to flip that and you begin to say, I want to love Jesus more, anything that was getting in front of Jesus, anything that was getting ahead of loving Jesus, will become less and less in your life. It'll get weaker and weaker and weaker. You know whether you are too political or not, if you start reading the Bible and you start praying and you start worshiping. More and that stuff becomes less. If 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 it doesn't have a hold of your life, then it's not gonna shift. Make sense? The challenge is this: anything that is ahead of Jesus in our love, in our commitment, in our devotion, is what biblical authors refer to as an idol. It's a fake God. And some have made politics their God. You, some have made our nation their God. And as a result, they're worshiping a nation and politics above Jesus. Now, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, I get it. This is all you have. You may as well fight for what you believe and take a stand on the things that you're passionate about, right? But if you believe in Jesus, let me just say there's a better way. And the better way is that I want to love Jesus more so that my love for other things becomes less. Meaning, I'm not trying to take away your love for our nation. I'm just saying let's put Jesus ahead of it and then allow Jesus to inform how we approach every other aspect of our life, including and maybe especially politics in a time and season when it's at such a fever-pitched level. All right, so how would it, what would happen if we love Jesus more when it came to politics? Well, let me give you a couple quick um, practical application steps. First, we would be different. Listen to me carefully. We would not be, I'm not saying you can't be a Republican or a Democrat, but that would not be your primary identifier. We would be different. When you love Jesus, you are not first Republican or Democrat, you're first a citizen of heaven and that should be obvious. Do you hear me? It should be obvious that you are something different. Jesus referred to us as light in darkness. Imagine a nation in darkness. Are you light? He referred to us as salt. Salt that flavors, salt that heals a wound, cleanses, right? Are we, it preserves, are you salt to, to a flavorless society? Are you a preservative in a decaying nation? Are you something different? Are you an ingredient that changes the entire recipe? L- listen to me. Um, I, I recognize that these are tough things to talk about. And so as a result, when it comes to the church, I'm left with how do we be, How are we different? And here has been my take. I said that we are apolitical. What I mean is I refuse. I'm not gonna endorse candidates. We are not gonna take sides on gray area issues. Not every th- issue is a gray area issue. And I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But on gray area issues where scripture is not clear, we're not taking a stand. We're not picking that fight. And you wanna know why? And I'm telling you, this has been our approach because I'm hoping that it becomes your approach. There's a lot of white noise and everybody's hiding in their echo chambers. And I don't want us to lose our influence to the white noise of politics and cultural controversies that Jesus did not invite us to take a stand on. Listen to me again. I don't want us to lose our influence by taking us an unnecessary stand. There's a lot of white noise. And so I want the church and every Christian to rise above the white noise and become an influencer. I want you to be different. Your goal should be influence for the name of Jesus. And so if I just immediately start taking political stands, what I do is I lose influence with half of our nation, half of our community, half of my neighbors. But if I'm gonna be Jesus and I wanna, and I wanna be different, then I wanna be light to Republicans. I wanna be light to Democrats. I wanna be salt to those who are liberal in their thinking. I wanna be salt to those who are conservative. And they're thinking, you see the difference? You should be able to be a Jesus follower in any context, in every context. People should want to be around you because you are different. You are light and salt in the difficulties and the tragedies. So here's how we should be different. When our whole nation is caught up in hate, we should be love. When they're trapped in anger, we should be peace. When they're trapped in hurting, we should be healing should be different. And if we're different, then we have to think differently. We approach issues in a different way. We don't start from the premise of, what do Republicans think about that? Or what do Democrats think about it? We think differently. We say, neither. Our approach is, what does God say about that? And so my challenge to you is, are you willing to think critically, which means you're not just gonna get sucked into the echo chamber of what others want you to think. You're gonna think critically. Don't Don't just believe everything you hear on the news. Don't just agree with them because you've been told to agree with them. Think critically, think deeply, and think biblically from a New Testament lens. All right, because if you just purely think biblically, you might be like, well, let's just destroy that nation off the face of the earth, okay? And I'm not, by the way, I'm not putting down Old Testament. There's critical reasons why God uh, navigated his story in those ways, but when we look at a New Testament uh, lens, our first ethic is God's love and how that transforms our hearts. It's personal, not political. And so when we think about issues, how can we think critically and biblically from a New Testament lens, Follow me here. That means any issue that's a hot button issue, you approach it with, what does God's word say? What do I read consistently? And by the way, don't just get caught up in reading one verse. This is why it's important that if you believe in Jesus, you spend time in God's words, so you understand what God said and what God is saying, because you can find one little verse. I mean, the Bible says there's no God. Psalm 53 verse five. But the whole verse says, that the evil person says in their heart, there is no God. See, so if I just take out one little piece, I can get it to say whatever I want, and you'd be like, oh, wow, really? Yeah, but hold up, let's put it in context, okay. So what is the context of God's word on a particular issue? And if I approach the scope of God's word and apply it to an issue, I am thinking critically and biblically. I don't want you to get trapped in the partisan way of approaching issues. When you, when you approach an issue, don't look at it and go, what is best for me? What feels best? Remember, your feelings are often corrupted by sin. So doesn't no matter how you feel, I'm not gonna base my views on my feelings. I'm gonna base them on the word of God. Okay, I gotta keep moving here in order to give you guys a couple more practical top uh, principles. The next one is this, be part of the process but don't get consumed by it. And that's a pretty good principle, isn't it? Be part of the process, don't get consumed by it. If I'm gonna be part of the process, then I'm gonna give you a couple principles in how to make sure you're part of the process without getting consumed in it. First, it really bugs me, and I say this, I I think that I have a biblical view of this. If you're not gonna vote, don't criticize. Do you hear that? If you can vote and you don't vote, don't criticize. Why? Why would I say it? Because we are in a unique nation. We live in a representative republic, which means we are the government. And if you criticize someone else for deploying our troops or putting out legislature or making decisions that you don't agree with, well, you voted them into office or you, vote, or you allowed them to get in by your lack of a vote. And so if you're not going to vote, don't criticize. You have been entrusted with a vote. Now, this is unique. We're We're in America where we've been given a tremendous gift, the gift of the stewardship of a vote, which means you are responsible for how you vote. You are responsible to vote, and you're responsible for how you vote. You should not be voting driven by what makes you feel good or what serves your interests best. You should be voting based on what pleases God most. And that's complicated, isn't it? You ever noticed that there could be good people who make bad decisions? Good people who create bad legislation. Then you can have bad people who create good legislation. And some of you, you leave no room for nuance. And so you go, bad people do bad things. Good people must do good things. We have to think a little deeper because we know that everybody's corrupted. And because everybody's corrupted, we have to go, what are their views? What's the legislation? What are the policies? And so we're not just one issue voters. We've, we think deeply. We understand that we have a stewardship of our vote, but after you vote, you trust God. We give way to trust and faith in God, believing that God will work through votes. So we don't lose our mind when one person gets elected into office that we disagree with vehemently. We're not going to try to burn down the government. We're not going to try to overthrow our nation. We go, okay, we're going to trust that God is in control. And when the one that we wanted to get into office, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to put our faith in them. We're not voting for for a president to be a Messiah. We're voting for someone to lead a nation, right? And so when you get that in healthy thinking, you stop misappropriating your trust and your faith in the government and, and politicians. Keep your faith in God, put your trust in him, and allow him to lead your vote, and then trust him to guide our nation, all right? Because this is about God's kingdom in you, a personal kingdom, not a political kingdom, but we've been entrusted with a responsibility. And so we need to get involved. We need to vote. We need to do those right things. And then finally, I want to challenge you with this. Be passionate about what matters most. There are some issues that politicians have taken them and made them political issues. But they're not first and foremost political issues. They're moral or they're biblical. They're God issues. And so when these are issues that matter to God, I see them altogether different. My loyalty is with God. My citizenship is in heaven. By the way, hear me. That does not mean you can't love your country and fight for your country. We got soldiers here. We have some of you are married to a, a spouse that's deployed right now. I don't want you going, oh, no, Patrick said this shouldn't matter. No, it matters deeply. It's just that my devotion to my nation is submitted under my devotion to God. All right, it's not an idol. So we can love our country, we can fight for our country, we can defend our country, we can believe in what God has done in the story of our country. But we are passionate about things that matter most. And so let me give you maybe an example. What matters to God? People. People matter. Life matters to God. God created life. God gave life. And so you start talking about issues of the value of human life, the sanctity of the unborn, the sanctity of marriage? You start talking about the, the value of the elderly, li- the life of the elderly? Can, can we just can we take away their care? Can we just allow for passive euthanasia? Meaning, can we leave room for government to argue this? Should, should people who are dying of cancer be allowed to just kill themselves? And we go, hold up, hold up, that's not, a, that's not a political issue. That's a faith issue. We believe that God is the giver of life. Right. And so you don't get to take it away. A baby in the womb is, has deformities or has other issues. That's in the hands of God. We're not going to take the life. Someone is late in their life, and they have, they're sick, and they're dying. Let's let the process run its course. We're not going to take their life early. Life and death are issues between us and God. And you see what I'm saying? So we make sure that we're most passionate about things that matter most, and we're not gonna get caught in things that are not what God is saying is most important. So let me give you kind of a a bringing it in final challenge. So Galatians chapter three, again, another letter written by the apostle Paul to the region of Galatia, the church is there. He goes, so in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. which you put on... was not a a hat of your devotion to a politician or you didn't put on the clothing uh, you you didn't put on your you know your MAGA hat or your Bernie shirt you with me All right. he's saying what we put on was the clothing of Jesus Christ we're trying to be more like Jesus there is neither Jew nor Gentile come on you get it this is not me. This isn't about race and ethnicity. You are neither slave nor free. Nor is there male or female. Don't misunderstand that. We'll preach about that one in the next couple of weeks. He's saying that all of these things are subjected under my devotion, my love for God. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. At least within Lifehouse, my hope is this: that you get it. We are family. We are first and foremost loyal to Jesus Christ alone. Our love for Jesus is growing, which means anything that was getting in the way of Jesus must become secondary. And then I allow God to inform my views on politics. I leave room to listen and learn and love. I'm willing to understand when others just write them off. I take time to see someone who should be on the other side as a brother and friend. I love when others hate. We bring healing when others are hurting. You see, the the church is altogether different. We rise above the white noise and we influence anyone and everyone in the way of Christ. Okay, so how can you you, uh, land this right now? But my challenge to you be this. Are you a citizen of heaven? There's no better way to go through. I don't mean it feels better. I mean, when you look at the scope of your life and eternity, There's nothing better than to be a citizen of heaven. And some of you right now, that first step for you is to put your loyalty into your faith in Jesus Christ and become a citizen of heaven by acknowledging that you are far from God as a sinner. You're asking him to forgive you of sin and give you new life. For others of you, you believe in Jesus, but you haven't let your faith in Jesus inform your view on politics. And so hopefully I've given you some really practical steps to say here are ways that we should approach our politics. You and I should be different. We should think differently. Now here's the deal. Before I, I wanna take a moment, I'm just gonna pray over you. Before I do that, I'm gonna give you a challenge. Um, we're gonna, at the end of this message, we're gonna scroll some questions for you. We haven't done this before, but we're gonna put some questions up. And our hope is this, take a picture of those questions. They're also gonna be available on social media. We wanna give you some things to talk about. All right, so on in your car ride on the way home, you could pull up those questions and talk about it. Maybe over over a meal, you could pull out those questions and start a discussion. And my goal is that you could begin to talk about these topics in a new, and different way if you begin to think about them critically and think about them biblically. I want to take a moment. I want to pray over us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to rescue us from sin, to die and then to rise from the dead victorious over sin, over death, over eternal judgment. And right now, God, each one of us, we're saying, God, we want to be a citizen of heaven. We want our citizenship of heaven to supersede any other loyalty. So we submit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.